0: <laughs> Zena, no. Zina, no, no. Okay.
1: Hi there, I'm Emma Kiesling. And I'm
0: Sydney Allen. And this is the Uncovering Publishing Podcast. We actually haven't recorded the first episode yet, but we're recording the second episode now because we had our second guest, Lily Kovach here with us today so we're going to record this um, and then we'll do a separate episode 1 with just me and Sydney so we can catch everybody up catch up with each other uh, about how the last year was um, but yeah today we've got Sydney uh, Sydney <laughs> But yeah today
1: we... <laughs> Sydney's dog and Lily. <laughs>
0: Sydney's dog and Lily Kovach.
1: Hello. And Sydney. Yes. And so, Emma. <laughs> yeah. Very excited to introduce today's guest who is Lily Kovach. Funny enough, she was actually a Future Book Conference volunteer with us, as well as a student in the UCL Publishing Master's Program. She previously interned with the Lorella Belly Agency and is currently working for the Heritage team with Curtis Brown. <laughs> <laughs> um, that was me, for those wondering. That was, that was my response.
0: Oh my Gina. gosh, Tina. We'll you look, like a, you we look like a weasel. You look like a
2: meerkat. <laughs> um, I just had lunch. if you hear any of those noises that's still me
0: (laughs) but yeah welcome lily not you Zena. uh so lily we usually do four icebreaker questions at the beginning sometimes they get cut sometimes we use them i think they're going to be really interesting (laughs) with you first one is what is your favorite book to give as a gift
2: that's an interesting question because i feel like i only ever give gifts Books as gifts if they are like prompted by someone. So, if someone's like, Oh, I really want to pick up a book and I want it to like fit a certain criteria, that is the only time that I'll ever give someone a book as a gift because I feel like I don't know any books that would appeal to anyone just universally. Like, someone that doesn't read, I just don't know any books that I would give to them that I'd be like, Oh, this is the book that's gonna get you. I feel like someone hurt you into reading. You tried to give my someone family. a book, and they Actually, said, I was what you're the Because oh. she did
1: give Tessa Bailey and Sarah J. Mass. I
2: did and they did not get very far on either of them so there you go i have been hurt before but i feel like in the past and by the past i mean the past couple weeks the book that i've recommended the most to people um as a gift or like for themselves has been happy place by emily henry because i feel like a lot of people want to read something that is very it's deep but it's deep in like a very easy way like you can just pick it up you can read it it's got some kind of emotional journey that's involved in it but it's a very easy and quick read um that isn't necessarily like a summer beach read but it's not necessarily like a deep literary fiction novel so I feel like that is probably what I would recommend as a gift can I
0: can I actually expand this question because we talk to Lily a lot with other publishing people and people who are on the publishing masters so if you're giving a gift to someone who's in publishing or who you know has similar taste to you or who you're like hmm like I think I could really give you something I really love
2: well then the answer is very obviously the gift that I gave to you during (laughs) our um advent our book advent calendar um, no my the book secret santa exchange thing that we did in December um so for context I got Emma um as my secret santa giftee. um and Emma is someone who's read a lot of books and a lot of books <laughs> that i like um almost all the books that i like she's virtually read so i was having a really hard time thinking of something that i could pick up that she hadn't read um and that i know that she'd like um and then so i ended up picking a gentleman in moscow by Amor towels and i picked that book because i think it's one of the most like immersive and sweet and uplifting books that is also like weirdly educational and I know that Emma was really into like Russian literature and it makes references to Russian literature but in a very accessible way and it's just like the perfect little sweet read um which to your credit like I loved it it was she's loved it thank (laughs) god because I would not be here today if she didn't it was a great time to
0: read very up my alley very like hit all of my you know Russian lip bones and all that stuff
1: alright so moving on what's one book you'd like to see on the screen well um, I was thinking about this earlier
2: and I feel like it would be The Infernal Devices Trilogy by Cassandra Clare. And I say this because they've made adaptations of a previous um, series, which is The Mortal Instruments. They've made a TV show and a film out of it and both of them were absolutely terrible. Um, <laughs> Is some, this Shadow la- Yes, this is Shadow okay. Hunters. Um, some were less terrible than others, um, but they're all in all just absolutely horrible. And I think it's probably because it's a really hard series to pull off because it's magical, but it's not magical in like an easily CGI'd way. Because you just can't like you kind of end up with a, with an almost like Star Wars like adaptation with with like the stellies and the like the little illuminated magic tools that they use. So it's a really hard series to adapt. Um, but I think because the Infernal Devices is set in a historical time period in the Victorian era. It's something that could much more easily be made into, like, almost a magical realism kind of, um, kind of movie adaptation. And then I was talking to some friends about this the other day because I saw a tweet that said, um, Greta Gerwig should do the infernal devices because oh she would God. understand the emotional complexity Why <laughs> <laughs> that like, like I she I was love in this. it everyone, everyone is like yes. Grewing, please do this please, please do this well yeah to be fair she could do absolutely I don't think she, anything. she'd mess it up well she's doing Narnia next so you know no she's, she's, she's not like, yeah, she's remaking Narnia
0: <sighs> um, remaking all
2: like from the oh yeah. so she's doing that so evidently she's interested ready in the world cry. of fantasy yeah Um, but I think it would be a really good thing to adapt, and it's also um for those in the know probably the best done um, love triangle ever because it isn't really a love triangle it's Let's like a love a, com- a love sphere that's completed so it would have to be a love sphere <laughs> and also because that needs to be done because i need to see it so <laughs> i, need, I, would, I, need, I need, it. need it
0: okay what's your favorite media at the moment that's not a book
2: oh um i don't want to say tiktok <laughs> but it probably is tiktok I'm also weirdly still on Twitter even though it is obviously just going down Um, and I feel like that makes it a little bit more fun than it usually is because everyone is is just doomsday scrolling and doomsday posting onto it Um, and I also really like that a lot of the movies that I've been really excited about recently um, some of them book adaptations like Red White and Royal Blue that's coming out um, next week their marketing team is virtually entirely on Twitter
1: and they keep posting
2: the most like unhinged kind of not spoilers but kind of like Um, like, teasers and and teasers about the movie and from the book, um, that I just can't look away. They hid books all around London and New York. But it must be effective because the
0: amount of posts from, like, clearly non, from just, like, fans and, like, accounts I already follow on, like, Twitter and TikTok who are posting about red, white, and rural blue... It's like, they're doing Insane. such a good job. That marketing team okay. is crushing it. But
1: you know what? Outside of Twitter, where are they? Because I've not seen a thing. On and TikTok I'm not Twitter sometimes. Girl. But I feel like TikTok is very much
2: like, that's your for you page. So you have to have looked at the book for it to come up. But on Twitter, it's just free reign. Even IMDb was doing posts about it. Like the IMDb Twitter account... I mean, um, I've been excited for that movie,
1: but I'm because so I'm not excited. on Twitter, I've seen hardly any They've marketing.
0: They've done some stuff on Instagram. Like, I'll see a promoted post every once in a while. But it is, it is, like, a it's sad like, thing about Twitter going down is, like, that was the, you know, microblogging, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, place to be. But it's
2: interesting with regard to the previous question about movie adaptations um, or, like, book adaptations because we were talking about this the other day um of how when they first announced that they're making a movie about red white and royal blue there was so much backlash about the casting because they're like cause their, everyone was saying that they look too old and that they have no chemistry and it's just gonna be so horrible and they're like they got rid of some characters and they mixed some others together and it was just the whole thing um so everyone was really really upset including me i mean i wasn't upset but i was like oh this isn't exactly what i envisioned um for the movie adaptation and since the trailer came out the reaction has been virtually the complete opposite and everyone's like this is the greatest thing I've ever seen like it's the perfect like shitty rom-com movie that everyone just needed um and everyone it looks, suddenly has amnesia. everyone suddenly has amnesia and is just obsessed with it including me so that is something that I'm excited to see adapted um yeah
0: yeah I'm also very excited for that that and was one of the earliest play. rom-coms that I read and I was like wait I can tolerate this rom-coms is, it was actually also <laughs> one of the
2: earliest ones that I read because I was always like ah oh, this is too boring But that was great. It's a good gateway.
1: All right. So I'm really excited about this next question because I know you've been reading a lot of manuscripts lately. So it's been really funny to kind of hear (laughs) about your journey through manuscripts. If you were the commissioning editor with unlimited funds, what comparison titles would immediately make you bid on a new book?
2: Ooh, um, maybe this is slightly influenced by what I've been reading lately outside of manuscripts as well. But I feel like an actually accurate secret history comparison. is what I would want to read because a lot of the times when they say something is going to be like *The Secret History*, it never is exactly like *The Secret History*. It takes a di- it takes like like the dark academia atmosphere, um, but it's never exactly the same. Girl, level have yourself. you
0: read *If We Were Villains*? Yes, I yet. have. I've okay. Just been
2: just been researching this before, and it does it, but it's not quite the same way. And I do hmm. think it's but it's different conversation. I do think it is better than *Secret History*, but I just feel like to capture That's that exact opinion. atmosphere is that that's like a comp that i would want to do and then also um i would want something that truly genuinely is the next court of thrones and roses because so many that for sure is so many books will say like oh it's gonna be it's like a sarah J. Maas comparison um never is and it it never is exactly the same thing like um i've read the bridge kingdom recently the first book of the Bridge Kingdom* recently and it is it has a lot of the same elements but it's nowhere near a close comparison to Akatar, so probably that
1: you look like you're about to. Emma does not agree. What's Emma's
0: going on daughter? To be fair, like I I read, read a lot, and I've read a lot of romantic and I've read a lot of dupes that people frequently mm-hmm. like hold up Aqatar, and then they're like, or read this. So like the one that comes to mind is the Serpent and the Wings of Night. Um, they're all flying from my head right now, but I've genuinely read a lot, and I always have a good time with them, but they're always clearly derivative. So like, mm-hmm. they'll give you all the same highs as Sarah J. Moss, but it's also never unique. So I think that's, and going back to your point about the secret history and wanting something that has the same exact atmosphere, but is original, I think is really hard to capture. It is, it is very, very
2: hard. But I think that would just be really great because it's also, it's one of the, the most recent books that really gave me the joy of reading back so completely because it's a book that's got well not just akatar but her entire universe um has got so many books in it that you would think you'd get bored at some point but they're just so incredibly well written and well just thought out that i think it's just an incredible series so if you could do that if you got one book that was a comparison you'd have an entire universe going for you so i have
1: a thought with books like this like also props to bloomsbury because they really pop out the best fantasy for like each generation but it's almost like, you know, Harry Potter did that for a lot of people. And then Akatar has done it for a lot of people. You almost need to take the beat between them, you know, because then everything does become derivative. And it's like the new thing has to come out. Right now, that's so dominating. But you the know what I just world. thought about?
0: Like, Harry Potter was when people who are our age were growing up, right? Like, people right. in their 20s now were growing up with Harry Potter or grew up with it. You know, mm-hmm. having just come out or something like that. And now, I mean, Akitar has been around for a long time and Sarah J. Moss has been long, around for a long time, but I feel like just now is when it's sort of getting that insane global yeah. appeal when people our age and our rough generation are in our 20s, which is the target demographic. God, Basically, to what I'm, I'm saying. For the next no, one, what to I'm read saying, some Old
1: middle ages fantasy romance. Just oh. what I'm saying is
0: just like: Are we the tastemakers? Are we choosing the big Ooh. fantasy
2: every like round? Because anyway, well, it's uh, quite interesting because uh, that's exactly what my dissertation is on. Um, because I didn't gonna, even do that transition n- for n- purpose. N- Go ahead, sorry. But it's like it's it's kind of on how new adult as a genre was created by publishers trying to market. To people that were really big fans of new adult and who are aging that demographic that's now aging out of YA, but still really likes the voice that's that that YA books are written in and the kind of themes that it deals with, but aren't quite ready for what adult books deal with. Um, so in a way, I guess we are the tastemakers because we are the ones that kind of made YA a thing. Yeah.
0: Um, and then oh my gosh, we skipped over Hunger Games. I feel like Hunger Games that's was true.
1: the whole that's discussion true, era. Right? Was that was, really that was part of
2: like. Not Harry Potter necessarily, but kind of like the, the post Harry Potter YA boom, along with Twilight and
0: Divergent. But it yeah. does go,
1: it does go children's literature YA.
0: I'm telling new you, adult, new
1: adult. it's we our are... age demographic
0: getting the generation. making things massive as I we age.
2: Oh <laughs> Us in our fifties with our little fifties fantasy book a protagonist in their 50s.
0: Which I think is also, like, obviously we're in a bubble, right? I don't know half of the, like, humongous crime writers, because I'm at Bonnier now. I don't know how, like, didn't know before working there. Half the big crime writers, because that's, like, a big thing for, like, I don't know how to say this diplomatically, but, like, <laughs> older people. <laughs> um, so they have their own, like, massive, you know, brand, brand authors. But I wouldn't say
2: have. it's the same thing, though, because... They're into crime, and maybe they're into a given author, but I would I wouldn't go so far as to say they're fans necessarily. Like they That's don't a good have the, the same kind of cult following and fandoms that we do. Um, That's such a good point. You know, point. we've got fan fiction, we've got Tumblr, we've got conferences, we've got so many different ways to interact with the mm. worlds that we like. I feel like our parents yeah. don't necessarily do that with their favorite authors. Very true.
0: Um, okay, so. Again, that was that was all <laughs> one of our icebreakers asking about your comp title and your original one was The Secret History, right? It was, Okay. yeah. Um, our next question is, I'm going to go really general with this. I want to know what got you into publishing, but sort of what made you curious about publishing as an industry and what made you think, like, this is what I want to do. This is something I would be interested in going into post-grad, like, What made you interested in it in the first place?
2: Um, Well, to give a little bit of a backstory, I used to study international relations and development for my undergrad. Um, And even in high school already when I was doing Model United Nations and when I signed up to go to uni, um, I've always wanted to do something with communications. I wanted to work for the UN's communications department um, because I was just really interested in the way, sounds very cheesy, but the way that stories are told and the way that you kind of spin... A research that you're doing or um a project that you're working on and the way that you spin that and so that it, it, it communicates your goals and your aims in the best way to people um so that's why I wanted to do that job and then in my final year of uni in the middle of the pandemic I was kind of becoming really disillusioned with the UN um and with the kind of work that I wanted to do but I still wanted to do something that was related to communications um and I had a kind of reading renaissance during the pandemic as I think a lot of us did I was at home You know, I was surrounded by all of my childhood favorite books. um, And I had so much time on my hands. So I decided to go back and read through them, um, especially through Cassandra Clare's Shadowhunters books. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I just remembered how much I loved it. And I remembered how much joy it gave me to to read them and to be immersed in that world again. And so I thought it would be great if I could do something like that one day. And I didn't want to be an author. But I just wanted to do something where I could work with these worlds that I love and with these authors that I think are amazing um and then so I was thinking of what I should do and I knew that I wanted to come to London um so I started googling book careers and discovered what the publishing industry actually was which I feel like is something that most of us don't actually know until we're involved in Mm -hmm. involved in it um and then I found the MA and then I started learning more about what the industry was um and then I just knew that it was the right fit for me uh I met a lot of people that were involved in the industry and they were very similar to me um which is also a very refreshing thing to experience um and then I discovered agenting and publicity through the MA, through guest speakers that we had to come in, and then I knew that those are
1: going to be the right paths for me. Okay, well, that's actually a great kind of segue into the program as a whole and how it was for you. Um, the ones that you touched on, kind of agenting and... Publicity. Publicity. Mm-hmm. It, weirdly, I feel like they weren't in that, like, the core module of... Of the MA program as a whole. So, how was the program for you? How are those the roles that you discovered? How was it? Um, I think navigating. the program was
2: really good for me in the sense of it gave me exactly what I wanted out of it. I think you get, and I think, Sydney, you said this before, you get out of it what you want or like what you take from it. Mm-hmm. Um, I knew that it wasn't necessarily going to be a very practical kind of course in the sense of it would give you like hands on experience in the industry. Um, But it was going to be much more a kind of introduction into the industry, which is very valuable in itself because most people, like I said, don't really know how it works um, from the outside. And so immediately it was very clear that there was a, a much bigger focus on editorial and on sales than there was on kind of publicity and agenting, which makes sense because most people, when they think of books, they think of editing and they think of selling them and they think maybe of packaging them, but they don't really think about the way that they get out into the world and they don't think about how many books we have. Um, or how many books get written and how there's people out there that actually narrow down the vast the vast sea of words that are actually getting written every single day um, and that was what stood out to me I think we had one pair of agents come in at one point and we had publicity as, as a shorter part of our um, sales and marketing module and it really just stood out to me it stood out to me that you could be the person that kind of helps a really really good book make its journey from literal conception all the way until publication and until it's being read by people um and you're in a sense both in publicity and in agenting you're essentially the author's champion you're you're their best friend you're their biggest supporter and you're there with every stage of their writing process and i think that's just a very cool
0: thing to be that's very sweet i saw sydney make a face when you said that editorial and sales were really emphasized do you disagree
1: (laughs) I i would argue editorial and marketing Okay, I can see that.
2: I can but, see that. But to me, sales is a little bit involved in marketing in my head because you are thinking of how you are going to, like... Like, marketing is money as well. You're fight, thinking... fight, right. fight, yeah. fight.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, I guess I just think sales is more with, you know, business-to-business business kind of selling the books into the bookstores or getting the books in front of it, it ties in with marketing. But I think that's another mm-hmm. thing we learned in the program is that every bit of it is so involved. True. And even as, you know, they say as a commissioning editor, you need to be able to sell because then you've got to go and sell it to the team and to the agent and yeah, I don't know. I think it's all yeah really interesting and, and really interwoven. I think we've also noticed just how small the industry For is sure. as a whole, yeah. which has been really cool.
0: Okay, so you were at the Lorella Belly Agency, and now you're at Curtis Brown um, with the Heritage team. Can you talk a little bit about how you got each internship and, you know, what the process has been like for you? Um,
2: Yeah, sure. So I got my first internship actually through Twitter, um, which for those that are interested in publishing know is basically the holy grail of resources for publishing. I don't know for how much longer, but it was when we, we started out with the MA. So I was essentially, I knew that I wanted to do something along the lines of publicity and agenting so I went and followed basically every single agency that was in London so just I literally went into Google and I googled list of literary agencies in London and made sure to follow every single one on Twitter um and then scroll through it every single day until one day I saw a post from the Lorella Belli agency um saying that they're looking for an intern um so I applied and I had my first interview and in my first interview Obviously, the question that they ask you first time for the first time is, you know, why agenting and what experience you have that could be relevant to it. And I didn't really have any experience um, that could have been relevant. But I was very enthusiastic. I was I made sure to research every single thing that they that they were working on right now, all the different books, the different genres, what authors they were working on, what sectors they were looking to expand in. And so I did a lot of research before my interview so that I came across as very enthusiastic. Um, and then when I ended up getting feedback from my interview, my Then boss eventually ended up saying that it was really the enthusiasm that sold me that there were other people who were much more qualified than I was But that she felt like I could handle a lot because I was so excited to do this kind of work Um, so yeah, that ended up being my first job and I did that Um part-time so two days a week for six months And then I knew it was time for me to move on to something bigger because Essentially the role that I was doing there couldn't go any further because it was a smaller agency So then I started looking at different jobs and I saw the Curtis Brown internship program advertised again on Twitter um, because I'd followed them. And so I decided to apply. And it was a much more kind of informal, in the sense of I didn't have to hand in a cover letter and I didn't have to hand in my oh. CV. It was just kind of, I had to answer as a series of questions. And then if they liked me, then they invited me in for an interview, which is basically then that's when I kind of gave a verbal cover letter and CV. Um, and yeah, so I went in and I met with two of my eventual bosses um the two co-heads of the heritage team and it was the most comfortable conversation I've ever had in my life they opened up with asking me what my favorite book was and then that led into a whole conversation that lasted like an hour um it just flew right by and I was so excited when I left the offices because I just felt that I had done something right um and I think for that interview, the most important thing was, again, research. I'd watched all the podcasts that my bosses were featured in. I looked them up. I I went on their Twitter. I just stalked them, basically. Um, and I also admitted to stalking them. I fully told them that I'd listened to their podcast and I listened to the different interviews that they've given. And they said they were actually very gratified by that because no one ever actually admits to doing it or no <laughs> one does it. Um, so I think that definitely was something that gave me a leg up. And then I ended up getting the call a week later saying I'd gotten it. Um so
1: yeah that was that was how I did it. Nice. Yeah, that's amazing. Um so I think that the Curtis Brown kind of application process, it's really interesting and they're not the only publisher who's kind of put forward an application where you don't submit your cover letter and CV right from the get go. Um so what kind of questions were they asking? Um and sorry, let me correct myself. I'm pretty sure
2: I did send my CV, but there's definitely okay. no cover letter. Um and the questions were definitely the, the more important part of it, other than mm-hmm. the CV. Um, so I can't remember exactly what they were, but I remember the final question was, um, what recent book, what recent nonfiction book do you mm. wish you would have worked on? Um, oh. Or like commissioned? And my answer to that was um, The Empire of Pain by Patrick Keefe, which Emma, which Emma's also read and really liked. Big fan. Um, and I said that because I don't read nonfiction ever. Um, so for me to pick up a nonfiction book takes a lot. Um, And it was just so incredible when I read it. I was like, okay, if you can do this for nonfiction, then you can do anything. Um, Which is essentially what I said in my answer as well. So that was for sure part of it. One other question I think was, would you be comfortable doing kind of a whole range of different admin tasks? So doing events, doing um, reports, doing kind of submitting data into our online um, databases. So yeah, it was about kind of like how much what range of things you'd want to do. And then obviously why Curtis Brown and why agenting. So awesome. some standard questions as well.
1: Yeah, I love that. I know that one of the other gals in our program, I don't know if it was from the get-go that they asked this, but it was for the Pottermore internship. Mm-hmm. And they asked, you know, which Harry Potter character. Oh, yeah. You know, like, you, yeah. And I just think it's so interesting and so intimidating, honestly, when they throw those questions at you from the start, because you know that – they are really looking at those answers. I started thinking,
0: It's yeah. also 100% why it's it's important to focus on things that you genuinely are interested in yes. and like, because that's going to get ferreted out so quickly if you aren't actually passionate about what you're doing,
2: yeah. I would say. If anyone's ever applied yeah, to the um, Penguin internship, the three-month Penguin internship, one of the questions they ask you is, what three books do you take, to take with you in a deserted island? Which is also a very similar kind of question, mm-hmm. um, and an interesting one. That is such an interesting one I hmm. I've applied so many times I have to repeat The New same maker question. question. <laughs> yeah I
1: I really like that Um My trashy romances I'd have to get Something yeah. a little bit More substantial I fear well,
2: One of mine is always <laughs> Moby Dick Just because I've always Wanted to read Moby Dick And I could just never Be bothered to actually do it so it's always like, if I ever have the time, it is when i want a deserted island.
0: <laughs> and so I have to say, Moby Dick, so many subplots, so much craziness. Like, it is it is a great time, and it's also nice and long. Also, True. it teaches you how to whale.
1: Yes. If you maybe, ever maybe found I'll a get out. I was going to say, it's, it's the founder island, yes. and I get out. Alright, so how was the reality of being in publishing versus what you thought it was going to be?
2: Um, I think it's difficult to answer because we are so or at least i'm so early in the process of my career or like so early on in my career and i can see that the people that are a little bit higher up like my bosses for example are doing exactly what i thought publishing would be Mm. so i think it's maybe a little bit difficult to answer at this stage of my career but i think it's it's a lot more admin than i thought it was going to be which i think a lot of us have experienced in our first jobs um, not not boring, admin. Not in any way. Like it's it's still doing stuff that I thought I would be doing. So I'm reading a lot of manuscripts. I'm doing a lot of giving editorial comments for manuscripts. I'm doing a lot of uploading contracts onto therefore, which is our our database. Um, I'm doing a lot of
1: looking at permissions, um,
2: and kind of granting permissions to be used because I'm on the heritage team. Um, Could so you talk
1: a little bit more about the heritage team and what that is, just for anybody? Yeah. So the heritage or... team is
2: basically as far as we are as far as we know and we we preface every time every time we give a description of what the heritage team is we preface it by saying as far as we know it's the only dedicated um team to literary estates so there's in other agencies around the world there's usually an agent that does estates or focuses on literary estates but there's no dedicated team that does just that so we represent over 150 literary estates including john le carré and winston churchill um and douglas adams so many many literary icons of times past and we basically are responsible for making sure that their legacy stays alive even though they themselves aren't there to do it which is a really really interesting job and it's especially interesting because i work part-time for heritage and work part-time for another agent who does commercial fiction so i'm kind of seeing both sides of the coin and obviously representing someone that's alive and is still going to write books and you can still shape their career and their image is very different than someone not only has died but who lived who lived and wrote in times where ideologies were very different than they are now Mm -hmm. and so we deal a lot with kind of republishing books that might not hit the same if you're reading it today so that could be with things like vocabulary with um kind of with people's ideals and with character representations It's, it's a very very interesting field of agenting um but at the same time we also work a lot with rediscovering and republishing authors who didn't get who didn't get to shine when they were alive. So kind of looking through charity shops or looking through online submissions and finding ways to make those voices heard when they couldn't be heard in their own time. And we basically get to pitch them in the way they should have been pitched when they were alive in the forties and fifties and sixties. So we represent a lot of um, queer authors who couldn't be marketed as queer back in the day, but now you can, and now you can kind of pitch them and say, Oh, this is a lost literary masterpiece. Um, So for example, there's a book called they, by Kay Dick which one of my bosses is very very proud of um she will probably go to her grave being known for this one thing um and I love that um and yeah she discovered it in a charity shop in Bath it's only a hundred pages long but it is basically a literary masterpiece and it ended up being sold to Faber and it is now being published widely oh my god Um, and yeah she she was I think they stopped publishing her after a couple years because it didn't sell enough and you couldn't market it for what it was and it basically deals with this kind of enigmatic um entity called they and they basically police art and they come and they take away any of the art that you have in your house and they come and stop you from writing and they you know it's a very timely piece and it was a very timely piece when it was written in the 60s um so yeah it's that a really, really so cool. interesting field yeah. to be working on i
0: will say we should preface that you are here in a personal capacity yes and this is not, not an ad not, like, ad not but also like not not representing your company oh no no no, no, no. yeah Um, So you've basically explained your role at Curtis Brown, your internships, what your professional life has been like since moving to London. I'm curious what your experience with the community and with the people in publishing has been like coming into it as, you know, starting as a publishing hopeful as opposed to obviously last season we were doing a lot of people who have been in publishing for a long time.
2: Um, I think I mentioned a little bit that my experience was very positive because I feel like it's one of those industries where everyone that's in it is so passionate about what they do Um, and you know that anyone that works in it for the most part is going to be obsessed with books and likely to a degree obsessed with the same books that you are Um, and I think it's the most incredible experience to meet other people that are so like-minded and I think it's maybe this is one of the most unique industries in that sense Um, I guess the arts maybe more broadly but an industry where really everyone that's in it is on the same wavelength um maybe slightly different aspects of of the book um as it were but still very much the same level of invested in in this whole concept um so it's been really really nice and i think the ucl program was a great introduction for that because you meet people who are at the exact same Part of their ju- point of their journey that you are um but want to be in the same place and you're also you kind of go into the ma knowing that most of the people that you meet are likely gonna not only end up living in london like you but end up being in the same industry so you're kind of on the one hand you're making friendships for life because it's different than your usual ma program where you're just gonna go and you know move to a different country or get a completely different job than your peers but here we're all gonna end up being essentially an extension of the ma forever which I think is really really cool but you also meet so many people um who are going to be your co-workers and your peers and that is an invaluable thing to have when you're going into your career because you go to a company to a publishing company to a literary agency and you can say oh well I actually know someone that works at that company that we want to work with or I know someone that's done that and you know has connections to this project and I think that's so invaluable and helpful to have.
1: Yeah I actually I can't talk up UCL enough in that regard I really think that they do an excellent job of creating just a solid program of people who are so passionate about publishing and then connecting them uh, to whoever they think might be helpful not even just in terms of their career but in terms of friendship like I know um I was really keen, obviously, to get the the work sponsorship. And so they connected me with an American from last year's program, Marissa, who had gone and gotten her skilled workers visa. So they're just really on their – they're on top of it, and they stay in contact, and they've created their own kind of mini community within the publishing sphere. Um, And now as we kind of go out into the world of publishing, we've met other grads from the program, uh, which is – it's really fun. Um,
0: The other thing I would say – in the context of ucl is that you have a year to kind of think about publishing mm-hmm. and what your approach to it is going to be and um sort of like the the values and ideas that you want to bring to it before you go into it
1: mm-hmm.
0: which i think um is going to be interesting in the next few years to see what people do and how they change it and maybe maybe shape it eventually
2: for sure. And I know I said that it's not very practical um, in the sense that maybe you'd expect it to be, but at the same time, it is really good at telling you what that dream career that you've always wanted is really going to be like. So, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of people go into publishing thinking they want to work in editorial, um, which is a very fascinating part of the industry, but I think people think it's going to be slightly different than it is, at least in the beginning. Um, so for a lot of us to get a better idea of exactly what it is, is really useful for for thinking about whether that's really what you want to do or whether there's something else that's more suitable. Um, and then they help you find something that's more suitable if it turns out that editorial isn't what you want to do because the curriculum is just so varied and they have so many modules that target the different parts of the industry. So I think you still a great, great program in that regard too.
0: Yeah, totally. All right. Thank you very much, Lily. Um, that's the end of our conversation there. Uh, next week, I don't think we're sure who it's going to be obviously we're sort of shifting episodes around a lot uh, shifting people around a lot so uh, you'll just have to find out next week yeah absolutely alright
1: bye